Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, May the 15th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Sylvia. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Sylvia Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast, and there are Sundays, when, and, and I know this is an overall show. It's a, it's a weekly show, and sometimes we, we pop in midweek, and we share the experience of the season uh, together. 
and we have we opine and we update and we go through the roller coaster. We play GM. Sometimes we have a former Met come by to reminisce. Sometimes we have a beat writer or a national writer. Sometimes we do features on books or you know what's going on. We try to stay relevant. We try to 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 walk through the season and the off season or whatever time of the year it is together. But when I come on a Sunday after a game, a couple hours after the game, it it's not about that game, but sometimes it sets the tone. And I will tell you, and I'm sure while you're listening, whether you're listening to this just a, an hour or so after it posts or the day after or whenever, you would agree with me. The Mets have 13 losses this year. They're they're 23 and 13. They're in first place. They're off to a great start. They have a tremendously tough schedule coming up, not just against the Cardinals, but a tough road trip. The next three weeks, and we talked a little bit about this, there's going to be a lot of tough games. going to be a lot of moments where they win some good games, and, and you might have some tough losses. But nobody could have predicted back when we started this whole thing, the regular season portion of the program, back, what, first week of April or so, that it would be two weeks before Memorial Day, well, the middle of May, before the Mets lost the series. And it's a series that, ugh, they should have won. Probably against one of the weaker opponents they're going to face over the next few weeks. And this loss is probably the first stick to your ribs. When I say stick to your ribs, I don't mean a good steak dinner. You go out, you have a nice dinner, you know that, that meal sticks to your ribs, maybe you have a little wine, maybe a beer, Whatever it may be. And then you come home and you're like, ah, that sticks to the ribs. When it's a baseball loss, that's the one that sticks to your ribs. A loss like, ah. Now look, no complaints here because the Mets have had two really good ninth inning games, which I'm sure you're no different than me. As you watch the games, you like to give away or start to prepare for the disappointment of a loss. And those came back. It was like almost Lazarus back from the dead. So maybe the baseball gods were like, 2022 Mets, you're owed one. But I certainly think Pete Alonso and Starling Marte, as much as I know those were tough sliders, and I heard Pete in the postgame really got him off the hook. I think Pete should have walked. I think he, he, he was far more aggressive in that at-bat than he should have been. But be that as it may, first little bit of a, a, a bump in the road, the first two out of three lost. Mets with three and three, had a business trip, did what they had to do against the Nats. And then they come home. Now, here's the best part uh, before I get into the theme of the show. Which is the Mets' offense? Because I think right now, as we continue, we you know we're in that getting-to-know phase. It's not over yet. We're still getting to know the 2022 Mets. This week, it was going to be about Jared Kelnick. And it was going to be about Edwin Diaz. And you know the media couldn't wait. They couldn't wait to descend on Kelnick's locker. They couldn't wait to cover every at-bat. They couldn't wait for a showdown with the game on the line between Diaz and Kelnick. I really feel bad for the kid. But guess what? The Mariners looked and said, hmm, the kid's hitting a buck 40, which means you don't belong in the big leagues. And he's coming to New York, this whole fishbowl, and it's probably at this point asking too much for the kid to come in and deal with all that and try to develop and try to get out of his slump. So they send them down to AAA Tacoma, which you know disappointed the heck out of the media. So what does this weekend become? It really became the Paul Seawald revenge tour because he spitches in big spots in both the Seattle wins. 
No, it's not about Jesse Winker. And I, that's another thing. I don't get the Jesse Winker thing. That whole thing that happened in 20, 2019 when he was waving to the crowd and he dove. Good player. Better player than I thought. But and I think even someone tweeted at me. Gary Cohen like made a big deal about it. Actually, it was more about this Kirby kid, which I have to tell you the broadcast on Saturday night. I know some people really got annoyed with me. It was just I was annoyed. Maybe because the game was delayed. Maybe it's because, all right, the kid's from Ryan, New York. He's making his second big league start. God bless the parents. They probably put up through a lot. Travel ball, expense, sacrifice. I'm sure seeing your kid on the big stage just, what, 15 to 20 miles, not even from where he grew up. It's a surreal feeling. You say it. You mention it. Maybe you do a little in-game with Gelb at the right time. Gelb's at the right time. But it was almost like we were watching a Seattle Mariners broadcast. They kept going to the fans and the stands cheering and this. And I'm like, all right, enough already. And then Gelb's, look, I get you're on Inside the Jets. You're, you're progressing through the SNY family over there. But do I need to see the tight end, who, by the way, did nothing for me on my fantasy team when I try to buy week a couple of times. Do I need to have an Inside the Jets segment when I'm trying to enjoy the game? And I know what someone said, I'm, I'm, I'm being an on-your-lawn type of guy, and baseball's the kind of sport where because the game is slow, you need to incorporate those things. You're right, you gotta know when enough is enough, and too much is too much. And I don't know, maybe I was just in a grind, I was just agitated always. This was one of the first weekends I think I was agitated because I felt the Mets, I, I mean, they should have swept they certainly should have won two out of three. But look, that's part of the season. You're going to have series. Look at the Dodgers. Hot as a pistol. A week ago, I'm like, wow, Like they've only allowed 59 runs. They were a ninth inning comeback away from getting swept by the Phillies. A team the Mets have, you know, close games, but have handled pretty well. So that's where I'm at. Maybe I'm a little curmudgeonly. Maybe I'm a little grumpy. What did I want to talk to you about today? I've been planning it for a while because even going back to the Washington series earlier this week, I think I've been a little bit perplexed about the Mets offense. And that was really the main theme, what I want to talk to you about. I also wanted to get to Buck Showalter and the media. And I know we've talked about the media here ad nauseum. But finally, the quiet part was said out loud by Andrew Martian of The Post. I believe it was a Post Plus article. So if you don't subscribe to The Post, you're not going to get it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. The quiet part was said out loud. It was a great article by Martian. Really gave you insight because he used to be a beat writer before he started doing, he calls himself the clicker now. He covers media over the post. And then I was going to get into baseball movies. And I got to be honest, I don't know if I'm in the mood to do the baseball movies thing. I'll tell you what, if the Mets had come back and gotten a hit in that last that bad either by Marta Alonso, I probably would have done the baseball movie thing. I'd be flying high. Maybe we'll do it this week. Maybe we'll do it next week. I'll see how much time I have left. But we got to get to baseball. So, anyway, let's go back to the main theme. So, the Mets, 23-13. and 13. Tyler McGill's got a little tendonitis, so we'll see what happens there. They're going to have a bullpen game. That's part of the season. You're going to have to have your starting pitching depth. That's why Peterson is your swing guy, 4A, 5, 6 guy, whatever you want to call it. That's why you hope you eventually can get DeGrom back at some point. You hope a Jose Buto or someone else down in AAA could make a contribution if they need to spot start during a doubleheader or whatnot. You need about 10 to 12 starting pitchers. That's what you usually need, unless you have tremendously good luck and health and good weather 
And, you know, for the last couple of years, you've had to worry about COVID cancellations. I don't think they're going to cancel games anymore for that. But that's what you have to get. So that is what it is. The bullpen, that's where they really kind of started to falter a little bit today. Disappointing outings by Shreve back to back. Drew Smith came back down to earth. Look, I like Drew Smith. and everyone's going gaga about Drew Smith. But the command is still an issue at times. I think he could be elevated into a higher leverage situation, but I'm not ready. I mean, I had a friend of mine who I respect a lot, watched him in college, I believe, was texting me earlier in the week, guy in baseball. He works for a team in baseball. He's like, oh, there's the Mets future closer. I'm like, well, let's see him develop a little bit more before we anoint him that. But, you know, certainly, and, and I was surprised that during the broadcast last night, they had flashed some numbers up about how good the Mets bullpen has been. And it's like like one and two and everything. So as much as we complain and Trevor May is out, and he's been bad, and Lugo's been shaky, and not everybody likes Joely Rodriguez, and so on and so forth, and now you've kind of got to figure out, is is Medina or Colin Holderman or one of these young arms coming up uh, from the minors, the deal? It, that is what it is, you know? What I really, and I and actually I got a point about Seawald that I'll probably make before the, 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 the show is over, because I heard what he said about the Mets giving up on him, and I also heard what the feedback he got, and it kind of goes back to all the, the anger I've had about the Mets organization that it's probably I should let it go back during the Dan Worth and Terry Collins and obviously the prior ownership years. So anyway, the Mets offense. So the Mets coming into today, by all metrics, if you were just a general baseball fan, don't watch the team day in and day out. You see they're in first place. Uh, I think going into today's game, they might have even had the best record in the National League, percentage points over the Dodgers, whatever. I don't care at this point. Um, they were fifth in baseball, if you go to fan graphs, in run creation. That's all of baseball. That's all 30 teams. They were first in National League. Oh, are they getting a little lucky? What is their batting average on balls in play? 298? Well, that's actually 300. It's like average. So they're not really getting lucky where all their contact is dropping. They're fifth in run score to the National League. They're eighth overall. They're top five in OPS+. plus, But their league average with 4.3 runs per game. And when we did our little calculator with the baseball musings calculator back before the season, we just took average season out of these guys, including like a 2019 Cano season, which we were hoping J.D. Davis or Dom or, or even Cano himself could give you. And we saw a team that, quite honestly, we expected probably a run more a game. Now, funny we're talking about the Mets offense and feeling a little glass half empty, after they just scored 12 runs in two games. But why does it feel less? Why does the Mets offense feel less? And quite honestly, as we get to know this team, we've been talking so much, well, they're going to need another bullpen arm. And they may even want to see if they can upgrade their starting rotation because let's face it, McGill now has got a little soreness. We never know what the deal is with Taiwan Walker. He had a bad second half. You know, If there's a good veteran starter available at a decent price, you always want to have more pitching. They're probably going to lean more towards, assuming they're going to be healthy and DeGrom comes back, towards putting those resources into the bullpen. But we really haven't talked about the offense being a need because it was just we felt okay. McNeil's back to normal. Pete's having a big year. Nimmo is this on-base machine guy. I mean, he's in company with guys like Olrud and Keith Hernandez and Carlos Beltran with getting on base, what, 25, 26 games in a row? 
I mean, that is elite, elite company. And then you figure, yeah, you got you guys like Escobar and Marte and Canna, who's actually been pretty much what you expect, a really good component player. But the other two guys haven't even really scratched the surface. I think you're starting to see Marte hit. And Escobar got the rally started today, but he hasn't hit for spit for probably two and a half weeks, maybe three weeks, pretty much the whole month of May. Let's at least be fair there. So you kind of look at it and you're like, yeah, those guys will get going. But here's the real thing. Why does it feel less? If you go to Baseball Savant, uh, they're not hitting the ball really hard. They're kind of in the bottom of the league and hitting the ball hard. And here's the other thing. They're not hitting left-handers. You saw that Friday against Gonzalez. I mean, Friday, here's Scherzer pitching his uh, you-know-what out. And that's a game when when, a, when Scherzer and Bassett, both who and Bassett, and they they did exactly what Bassett, which I wish more managers would do with more veteran starters, even young starters, they pushed them. When you get good outings like you got from both those guys, you got to win those games. And they almost lost both those games. They lost one, they won the other. So I think it's a couple of things. They're not hitting the ball particularly hard. Pete's really the only one that's in the top 20 in hard hit. And, and, and I don't really want to get crazy on these baseball savant advanced statistics but there are they are worth looking for because you even heard if you were listening to the broadcast today when Gary was Gary Cohen said why did the Mets put OPS on the scoreboard instead of batting average it's not just because they want to engage a younger fan that's probably just looking at that truly it's a better metric than batting average about how productive a player is I mean that's the first thing I look at is OPS and maybe my my because whether it's a softer ball, we still see the ball not traveling, or you know different type of ball, or the game kind of changing away from launch, you know, lunge and launch to maybe back to where it used to be. Maybe we have to look at OPS, OPS plus, and OPS little well, not OPS plus because that'll be adjusted for the league, but OPS differently. Not everybody who is in a lineup could have an 800 OPS plus. But the reason that they're putting that on the scoreboard is because they want players that get on base and hit the ball hard. Mets are not really hitting the ball hard as a team. And they're not hitting lefties. And that that's just fact. And maybe that's... And Pete is part of that. I think he's hitting like a buck 60 against left-handers. Funny enough, the two guys who I'm going to be a little bit critical of in this segment... One of them, J.D. Davis, hits the ball harder than even Aaron Judge. He doesn't qualify because he doesn't play enough, but he's up there. So is he hitting to some bad luck? So there you go. But here's what I really feel. I think here's where the Mets offense may, and maybe they're turning it around, and some of that could be warmer weather. Let's face it, I think Pete and McNeil should have had home runs on Friday. I think McNeil should have had a home run yesterday. I mean, Melendor just missed one. That went foul. But... Really, the home run not being part of their repertoire, they're in the bottom third of the league in home runs, that's probably where the tack-on runs or the 4-1 game that you beat Washington could have been a 7-1 game. Or the game yesterday that you won 5-4 and needed Diaz to close it out, that could have been a 7-4, 9-4 game. That's what you're starting to look for. See, that's where the people who are like, eh, the Mets offense it doesn't... That's the extra. And that's where you go from being league average, 4.3, 4.4, 4.5 runs a game. That's when you start hanging out in Dodger territory in your 5, 5.2, 5.3, what baseball amusing calculator says you should be. So I'm not ready to give up on that. 
we have a little baseball PTSD because of last spring and summer where you had Conforto and McNeil and Villar and Pilar and Lindor and, and, and do I need to go on? Never got on track. So we feel a little bit like, oh, how can we say they're all coming around when what we saw last year? There's a difference. I think, truthfully, the whole chaos of changing the hitting coach, and Chili Davis was on the Brett Boone podcast, and if you haven't listened to it, it's a two-part episode. He brings up actually Brandon Nimmo on that, and and I'll tell you what, some of Brandon Nimmo's success, especially against left-handers, Chili Davis has a lot to do with it, still to this day. Nimmo's still calling Chili Davis, just throwing that out there. Um, changing the hitting coach, the way they handled the the data, a couple of novices in uh, Hugh Quattlebaum and Kevin Howard, uh, and a novice GM in, in in Zach Scott, focusing more on you know data than actually letting these guys be who they are. Now you've got a big league hitting coach in there, and quite honestly, and even Chili said this at the Brett Boom podcast, the best hitting coach is yourself. You as a player have to be accountable to work on your game and understand who you are and understand what the pitcher gives you. And if we could get to the point to the game where maybe the one positive, whether it's a softball, a dead ball, the humidor, whatever, where that finally allows hitters to say, hey, I don't have to hit everything 110 miles an hour and try to hit a home run. I just need to place the ball well. Look at what Brandon Nimmo did in the ninth inning. Down the left field line. Defensive swing against a tough pit. Boom. A double. That's all you need. McNeil going up the middle. So maybe things are going to just turn around because of that. But I will tell you this. I think the Mets, there are two things I want you to look for here. Number one, the struggles against left-handers. Because if you know about Mets history, and you don't have to go too far back, go back to the 1990 Mets team. That was a team that struggled against left-handers. That's why the Pirates got Zane Smith, who the Mets allowed to get through waivers, by the way. Little, you know, little fact that they could have blocked him. That's why the Pirates got Zane Smith, because they knew that the Mets couldn't hit lefties. And guys, even like Mick Reynolds, who was a righty, couldn't hit lefties. You neutralize Strawberry. You neutralize Magadan. You know, the Mets had a guy named Mark Carrion who was having a decent year. Wound up getting hurt. That killed him down the stretch. So what did the Mets do? They went out, and they got a guy named Pat Tabler, who was known for always hitting with the bases loaded because he was also a right-handed bat. You know, Mackie Sasser was a good offensive player on that team. Neutralized him. Greg Jeffries. I mean, go on and on and on and on. That team couldn't hit lefties. I mean, Bruce Hurst. I mean, the I remember a game with that team, the game against the Cubs, where they started Mike Bilecki. Uh, it was an August game. I can't remember. I was at the game sitting in the up depth. They started Mike Bilecki. Uh, Keith Miller leads off with a single. And then Popeye Zimmer comes out, brings in, I think it was Steve Wilson or some lefty. I think it was Steve Wilson, lefty for the Cubs. Just almost bait and switch the Mets who put a whole lefty lineup in to face Bilecki. And Steve Wilson shuts him down. Bit of a Bush League move. But I, I remember that. I was, I was thinking about it as I was doing this segment. I remember that crazy thing. I remember being at that game. I remember being in the upper deck in left field-ish. And uh, But anyway, I don't think the Mets are at that point, but they're not hitting lefties. And the DH spot is a huge issue because right now, both J.D. Davis, forget all the baseball savant, hard hit percentage, all that. He leads the league better than Aaron Judge in hard hit, the barrel percentage, whatever you want to call it. And Dom Smith are not hitting. So the Mets basically now don't have a pitcher hitting anymore. Not that I want the pitcher to hit. 
But they have a, 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 a spot in the lineup that other teams are going to have a strong hitter. They are a bat short. And when Nimmo goes into the inevitable slump and Pete goes into the inevitable slump and McNeil, he's going to slump. He actually had a rough, I mean, hit the ball well, but he had a rough weekend before the single in the ninth. You know, now you're going to be asking guys like Dom, like JD, like Lindor, who seems to be very streaky. Escobar, who came advertised as a streaky guy. Marte. They're going to need to get going. You're never going to have all eight or nine guys uh, going. But I think this DH spot is a hole in the lineup. Now, it's better than the pitch you're hitting, but I think it's a hole in the lineup. And I have to tell you, and I, I tweeted this at Mike Silva Media earlier in the week. The clock is ticking on both those guys. Both of them have small sample sizes of success. JD, who was a top 15 offensive player, second half of 2019. You've heard it a billion times on this show. Dom in the pandemic season, top 10 offensive player. Some people thought he could have been an MVP. They haven't hit since. Now, the metrics indicate that JD is going to bust out, and he got a big hit today, big triple. Dom, I haven't seen anything outside of that one game on national TV, the ESPN game against the Phillies, where it tells me he could hit. I, I To this day, you know, you could probably use Eric Hosmer in his lineup right now. I know Paddock's got Tommy John surgery, and so maybe it was better they didn't do the deal. But I got to be honest with you. We're at a point where, you know, what you know, we're, what are we waiting for here with Dom Smith? There's no there there. Yeah, Cano was 0 for 5. But let me tell you, Cano goes out to San Diego and gets anything together, which I think is unlikely because I still think that bat is too slow. Boy, are the Mets going to wish they had a bat like him. Now, is that going to help him against lefties? No, and that's the problem. What you really need in that DH spot right now is you need somebody and that's somebody's J.D. Davis who historically hits lefties and who's not even hitting his ne- the guy that, that he tears up, uh, Patrick Corbin, who he's faced a couple times, not really even hitting him. Uh, you need him to get going. And to me, J.D. Davis, all the metrics there, all the baseball savant metrics indicate that he's the guy. There's nothing about the eye test or metrics that say Dom Smith is going to be a good big league hitter this year. Nice first baseman. You could spell him at first, here and there. Maybe you want to put him in as a pinch hitter. So be it. Dom Smith is not a big league ball player right now. He should be in AAA playing every day at first base and proving that he could actually hit anymore. Because I don't think he can. And J.D. Davis should be a guy. But I'll tell you what, for both of them, and don't be surprised this comes up, and J.D. thought he was gone in spring training, you might need to start looking around, and it's early, but when this whole getting to know you phase ends, and it'll end in a couple of weeks, you know, by Memorial Day, we're going to kind of know where we are with this team, assuming nothing, you know, there's not a thunderbolt out there that hits them. One of the things they may need, in addition to an arm out of that bullpen, or potentially a starter, a veteran starter, we don't know yet about the veteran starter. We do know they need a bullpen arm. And, and, I'll, and I'll get to the seawall point in a minute is they may need a bat, and they may need a DH-type bat, and they probably need someone who's right-handed that could hit lefties. Now, a good idea, and I cannot remember for the life of me who brought it up on Twitter this past week, was Josh Bell. Actually, the perfect guy, you saw two guys that really would fit well in the Mets lineup in D.C. this past week, Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell. Now, I'm not convinced Nelson Cruz, who always hits lefties well. He looks done. He's hitting 200. 
maybe the shortened spring, signing late. Let's see. Let's, let's give it some time. Josh Bell would look great as a DH. The problem is he doesn't solve the lefty issue because even though he's a switch hitter, he's uh, you know he doesn't hit his. He's he's pretty uh, he's pretty much a guy who hits lefty, right-handed. He's got an OPS like 700, 690. You know you're you're kind of adding. You're pretty much at that point got what you got with JD Davis at that point. Let me tell you, the Nats call up and say, "Give me Dom Smith for either one of those guys." I probably do it. I might even do it for Nelson Cruz just to see what he's got there. Because I, I think Dom's done here. I don't think you're ever going to see anything out of him. I don't think there's any value there. Personally, at this point, I give J.D. Davis the DH job. The advanced metrics say that he's going to come out of it. And you got yourself, hey, J.D., you got yourself eight weeks to tell us whether or not you got this thing going or else we're going to go out, we're going to go find somebody. And But it's not going to be easy to find some guys. I mean, those two guys, you think D.C. wants to hand the Mets something? I mean, Bell's, I think, a free agent. I think uh, Cruz is on a, a one-year deal. I'll check that out before I'm off the air. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, and we're already seeing the kvetching, mainly on Twitter, not so much uh, yet in the mainstream media, about Pete Crow Armstrong and, and, and giving up, you know, a top first-round pick for Javier Baez. Guys, guess what? If the Mets need something and they're in a win-now mode and other teams know that, they're going to expect value. You know, Josh Bell, if he's hitting big time or Nelson Cruz hitting big time, I'm not saying you have to give up Ronnie Mauricio, but you may have to give up something of value. Because they might say, hey, now we know the whole qualifying offer, international draft, there's all this what-ifs when it comes down to the rest of, uh, you know, how this league look. They're still figuring stuff out. There's really almost still CBA negotiations going on. They have to like July to figure that out. I, you know, I can't, I can't keep the scorecard on that. But, you know, teams might say, hey, you know, I'll keep them for a couple months, be somewhat competitive. Why? So the Mets could get them for nothing? Why should I give them to the Mets? I mean, and you go up and down the league, you know, what else is there? You know, do you, do you go and, and, and try to get like a Trey Mancini? The Orioles aren't going to give them up for nothing. Kettle Marte in Arizona, uh, versatile guy. Uh, Ian Happ, good against left-handers in Chicago, some control, going to cost you. That might cost you. I mean, that might be a Pete Crow Armstrong type of situation. You know who hits lefties? And you're going to laugh who I was going and scrolling through. Who I actually liked last year as part of the bench mob, who's doing okay. Now, I know he strikes out a ton and he's a home run or nothing type of guy. And there's always been a joke here because of what the media wanted to, the Yankees to uh, you know, give him to the Mets for. It was Brandon Drury. I mean, think about it. The guy that they wanted the Mets to uh, to take as part of a package for DeGrom or Syndergaard all those years ago. Guy, I'm like, eh, he would look pretty good as a DH against lefties in the Mets lineup. And he was a really good off the bench last year. He had some big hits. But so be it. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. You know, we really got to look at this offense. Is it starting to heat up? Have we started to see it percolate the last couple of days? You know... We'll see. I'll tell you one thing with James McCann being out six weeks. The one thing you guys are going to learn. Here's what you're going to learn. Two quick things before we take a break and we get into Buck and the media. Two quick things. One, you saw yesterday with Patrick Mazika how important it is for a pitcher and a catcher to be on the same page and how important game calling and catch and throw is. 
And I think you're going to see uh, how much James McCann, and Buck's been talking about that, is going to be missed. Hopefully it's only going to be about six weeks. I think this whole broken hammock bone is probably going to make him uh, be out till the All-Star break. I also expect it probably to suck his power out. Any kind of injury there typically uh, causes a power issue. And it is his left hand, so he's a right-handed hitter. That's kind of where you get your power from. So look for that. The other thing about Seawalt, real quick, and this is where I hope maybe the Mets, when we talk about acquiring people and whatnot, hopefully with this new regime, they have a billion people in the analytics department. Here I'm, you know, I always thought Seawalt was a good reliever. And I thought the Mets shuttled him and, and never really gave him a role. And I know he didn't pitch well. He had an ERA over five with the Mets. And part of it, I think he was when he was part of that ninth inning implosion in Washington in September of 2019, I think that kind of sealed the deal on him. But he goes to all these teams in free agency, and they say, you know, you got to pitch up in the zone and throw a slider. And I'm saying to myself, the rest of the league knew this, you know, but where were the Mets? And it's not just the analytics department. Dan Worthen, I mean, Dave Island was only here a short time before they fired him, and they put Phil Regan in there who... I'm sure Phil Regan is good as an instructor, but it's not really the guy I want as my pitching coach. And I'm just saying to myself, like, for so many years I lectured and preached how bad the Mets were in developing pitchers. They got really lucky that DeGrom worked with Smoltz, kind of reinvented himself. Harvey was was who he was until he got hurt. R.A. Dickey guys, oh, what about R.A. Dickey and, and Dan Worthen? Read R.A. Dickey's book. He was self-made, and he told Dan Worthen, this is what I need you to look for and to tell me if it's off. That's that's not any that's not coaching. That's just, you know, that's that I could do that, by the way. And I never pitched an inning of the big leagues. I could do that. Hey, all right, tell me what I need to look for, and I'll tell you if it's there or not. So I hear that about Seawald. I do get a kick out of him having some trash talk with Mets fans. It's probably to my my opinion, it's probably going back to Twitter. He probably got bashed on Twitter or whatever. I don't know. I never had any ill will towards Paul Seawald. Maybe he's just using that to fire himself up. But it turned out. It was supposed to be Jared Kelnick versus Edwin Diaz, and it's the Paul Seawald revenge tour. Seattle takes two out of three. Now, Seawald wasn't the guy that got the final out. That's the only thing that would have made this even crazier if Seawald got the save on Friday and the save on Sunday, though he had a big part in both of those. Uh, and he had a very big out on Friday. Actually, Friday's game, he got the very big out. I think it was Marte he got out over there. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking for. The Mets offense, you know, the clock is on with J.D. and Dom. I got to tell you, I'm almost at the end of the rope with Dom. I really don't want to hear about him anymore. JD, starting to get impatient, sore a little bit today, was was going through some of those metrics, those advanced metrics on baseball savant. I'm like, okay, maybe we need to see something here. Give JD the job full-time, you know, maybe spot Dom against a couple of tough righties that you think Dom would be good at. Or if Pete needs a day off and you want to put him at DH, then of course JD is going to sit. But other than that, I'm done with him. Give JD the DH job. Let's see what he's got. And in, you know what? You're going to know within the next five or six weeks whether you need to go out and get another bat. You have a couple of guys just down south, down this mid-Atlantic corridor that may be available. I don't know. It's not going to be easy. And uh, unless there's somebody down on the farm, I don't think you're going to see Alvarez or Beatty. You know, maybe there's Daniel Polka, these, some of these scrap heap guys. Maybe they get a chance at some point. If it's coming to that, then... You're basically getting another version of Brandon Drury who you had anyway. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, the quiet part was said out loud by Andrew Martian of The Post. All these years I've been telling you that the Mets managers don't know how to handle the media and that the guy that lasted for so long, the only reason he lasted long 
was because he was tight with the owner and the media. He handled the media. Uh, I I think he was obviously phony, but he handled the media and gave him what they wanted. It's almost like a cartel. And I'll tell you about that and more right after this. Big night tonight. Shakira's here. That's what I'm hearing. She better come down. She's throwing out first pitch. I'm off. Be the hind snatcher. The catcher. That's what they called him growing up in, in the uh, sandlot. Hind catcher. You ever heard that before? She's talented, right. man. She's married to a famous soccer player, isn't she? I think. Really? If she walked by me, I wouldn't even know. She is, yeah. She what? Nope. She's played for Spain. Right. Good, really good soccer player, right? Yeah. I think it's just her tonight, though. Anything else? <laughs> no, she is? No, no, she's just a, she's a guest. She's not throwing out the first pitch. Guest of the Mets. Out of me. Uh, is the tight end coming out? Yes, C.J. Uzama. Uzama. He was coming to BP, but now there's no BP. He'll come still early to say hello. I probably have said this a thousand, a trillion, a million. You probably, if you've been listening from the beginning, can recite it in your sleep about what I think is important for a manager in this city. And we've talked about it a lot because let's face it, the Mets went from Terry Collins to Mickey Calloway to Louis Ro- to Carlos Beltran to Louis Rojas. And now they finally settled on the guy and probably the guy that, let's face it, they probably needed it all along in Buck Showalter, who's doing a great job and... And and you see kind of his experience and why I thought it was so important back in uh, 2019 into 2020 when Brody Van Wagenen was hiring a, a new manager that I thought they had to go with experience. And when they didn't, I said, all right, if you're going to go with a new up-and-comer, let's find the guy that's going to be here 10 years. It's a risk, but maybe you could go through that process and find out. And, well, you know what happened with Beltron and, and the rest. But Andrew Marchand, who covers basically sports media, for the New York Post, wrote an article earlier this week that I tweeted that you can't get unless you're part of Post Plus, which I think is four ninety nine a month. And I know not everybody wants to pay for, or nor should I, I would never, like I've said a thousand times, judge your financial situation where you say, hey, I'm not giving another $5 to anything with the way that things are costing right now. What's going on with gas and, and, and food and now this whole horrible stuff with, if you have an infant with baby formula and stuff, horrible stuff. I mean... My heart is out to anybody going through that. $5 for the post and, and reading what Andrew Martian has to, has to say about Buck Showalter. Not on your priority list, right? But I'll go through it for you. So the headline of the title is how Buck Showalter is winning with the media as much as it is with the Mets. Now, I've said to you guys over and over, give me a guy who can manage up with the front office, manage down with the media, keep a clean clubhouse, and manages a bullpen. All this other X's and O's stuff that we get caught on, hit and run, uh, pinch running, it doesn't matter. Even to a certain degree, if you build a good bullpen, you could probably make an argument. And and by the way, if you didn't listen to the broadcast yesterday, it came up, how the, the pitchers in the bullpen love how Buck has been able to space them out. I think going into yesterday's ball game, there was only like 10 times where they've pitched back-to-back, and they've pointed that out 
And I think he's done a good job trying to make sure that he doesn't get them hot and not bring them in. And he's trying to win games, but keeping his A team and his B team fresh, knowing who those guys are, and also going into the right leverage spot. Now, fortunately, the Mets have probably been in situations like losses where he was able to stay away with a game like today you went to a Colin Holderman. If that game was a one-run game, maybe he doesn't go to Colin Holderman. So it makes it a little easier to achieve what the bull, you know, the guys are talking about in the bullpen. But I haven't heard anybody on a Mets broadcast or a member of the media leak anything about a Mets manager and how he manages the bullpen in forever. I never heard it on Terry Collins, nor would I have expected it. Not on the Mickey Calloway. And not on the Louis Ross. So I think Louis Ross did a, a fairly good job managing the bullpen. So let's put that aside. One of the biggest things in how a team is perceived is the fact that you have your pregame show, your postgame show, you're on the radio at 880. You know, you got the Tweety Birds that are always going to be out there covering the team. And without Zoom, let's face it, it's a lot easier to cover the New York Mets. I think Zoom for sports is one of the best things and one of the worst things. And I'll tell you why. It gives writers access to things that they normally wouldn't have because going to the ballpark's an expense. Some of these guys are, are freelance, not making a ton of money, even if you get free parking with gas and everything. So there is a value. There's a, but there's a value in the clubhouse. And I think being able to be there, being at the locker, having a more... Uh, intimate situation where you could read body language is good for everybody. But one of the things Martian talks about in this article is how Buck understands the job of the media. And he kind of plays along with them. Like he's talking about, and you heard that coming in about Shakira and you know, he joked with them after the big comeback against the Phillies. Like, did you have to do a rewrite or during spring training, he was talking about, what was it, vodka or something. Like, he's trying to, like, lighten the mood, make it seem like we're buddies at the bar. Yeah, you have a job to do, and yeah, you're looking to get as much information out of me as possible. I'm not going to give you everything, but I know I need to give you enough. And I kept saying that time and time and time again for years and years. And I think that's where Callaway and Rojas failed. And Collins actually, he he, he didn't really give anything, but they liked him because he was kind of folksy. And then he would do a couple of these fake outrage things every once in a while where it was like his way of saying back off. But it was fake. It wasn't real. You got to give them enough meat to keep them at bay so they give you a benefit of the doubt. And cliches and baseball gym rat talk like Rojas and outwardly you know, lying with Callaway. See, now that we know a little bit about Callaway and what he is off the field, I think he thought he was talking to a, a female at a bar where you're giving them bad lines. You can't do that with the media. You can't do that. And they circle the wagon. Buck has the right balance. And I've heard him challenge. Like, I, I even tweeted at Rain Randazzo. When he questioned the bullpen, Buck turned around and said, well, what would you have done? And and Wayne didn't answer. He was like, well, I'm not the manager. Well, you know, as a reporter, if you're asking a question, have the solution. Say, well, yeah, I would have done this. What do you think about my my situation? But I think he does it in a way, even when he's a little snippy or says, I'm not going to tell you that, is one of his famous lines is, we're not going to let that information out for everybody to know. He's doing it in a way where you could respect the fact that he's using it as a proprietary way. Now, Martian talks about his experience covering guys who did not have a personal touch, like a Joe Girardi, who, similar to me, how I would be in that position, that's why probably I'd have a lot of issues with the media, 
I would feel like you're this writer, and there's a lot of young writers now in the business. You have no life experience. You've never covered anything. You've never run a business. You're basically a, a stenographer at times. Not all of them, some of them. And you're questioning me. Why should I even entertain this nonsense? But really, that's where the mindset is wrong because that's where you'll never get benefit of the doubt. And that's where Girardi for a long time, I mean, look, our good friend Bob Clappish, who's been on this show, he had a horrible relationship with Girardi. He called for Girardi to be fired many, many times after 09. I remember there's probably two or three times between after the championship uh, in 09, between 2010 and 2017. And one of the reasons that the Yankees moved on from Girardi is that they just were tired of the act. They were tired of it all. So, you know, you you have a situation here where you have a manager who understands he has to be somewhat of a, of a salesman. You have to kind of have that back and forth, that relationship. And Martian, I mean, here I'll even um, uh, point out some comments he made here. It says, no matter the size or attitude of any market, good leaders know how to make their relationship with the city's reporters an asset rather than an obstacle. At the very least, they can make the media more neutral. That effort centers around being honest and open. In the end, it also gives a tiny window into how a manager or coach treats his players. They just want their job to be easier. They want some meat on the bone. He even brought up Bobby Valentine, who, by the way, Bobby V has had more than one run-in with a reporter. But he brought up how Bobby V, uh, I think when he got married or engaged, would you know, say, hey, you know, asked about it. It's important. Is it part of your job? Really, it's not in the job description. But managing these guys who are going to be there every day, who are going to frame a narrative, who are going to potentially um, maybe stir some stuff up when they start talking to some of the players in the clubhouse. I think they were even talking about how Buck put out there that one of the reasons he brought Jankowski in for defense over Mark Canna was not because he thought Canna was a bad defensive player, but because he wanted to get Jankowski some time out there. I mean... That's the kind of stuff that gets out there that dispels any kind of bitterness. Because remember, the world is like high school. It's just we're older now. Like Whether you're in high school or you're an adult in your 40s playing Major League Baseball, it's like high school. Everybody gossips. Everybody talks about everybody else. Everybody is insecure. Everybody's trying to get to the next level. Everybody's trying to make money. Everybody's trying to keep their position. I mean, baseball... I mean, you know how, how insecure you are in baseball, especially if you're a guy who's not a star? At any moment, you feel like your position and the rug could be pulled out from under you. You don't need the media adding to it. So I really thought that the fact that Buck gives them the give and take, and he does it, and, 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 and look, it's been real easy through the first 36 games to do that. He hasn't really made any controversial moves. Not like this loss today could fall on him. And what are you going to do? Is it his fault that Pete swung at pitches out of the strike zone? It's not. Is it his fault that Marte had a horrible at-bat? It's not. He hasn't made that Zach Britton move like he made in the postseason playing game with the Orioles. He hasn't made that move yet. But I also think he's been around enough to know that it's going to happen and how he responds. And maybe he'll get a little terse. Uh, you know, means a lot. Look, I think some of these guys are wildly immature, wildly unprepared, and and blank stirrers, if you get my drift. I, I think they are. Not all of them, some of them. And I think last year on Zoom, there was a lot more of that. 
And I think the fact that Louis Rojas was basically a baseball gym rat contributed to it. But with that said, they're there. And what we don't want is rat raccoon, thumbs down, things like that, because that takes away from really what this is all about, which is competing and winning, trying to make the playoffs and win a championship. I think Lindor learned that as well. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. Basically, if you read this article, Martian, and I'll summarize a few without getting too crazy, have a personal relationship with them, give them enough where they could go back and write a story, respect their job and respect how hard the job is, and, you know, basically go out there and not be my enemy. Don't make it where I have to hold my breath every time I walk into that manager's office. Remember how Brody Van Wagenen said every time he walked into the manager's office with Mickey Calloway, who's holding his breath? You don't want to do you want to go to work every day and have that relationship? And now it's a dais and stuff. But I actually buck. I'm even noticing after the game, I think it's more the scrum. I don't see, I mean, there's a dais before the game, but there's also the scrum. And I'm sure he also, with guys who have been around and, and whatnot, you know, he may be having, you know, some more off-the-cuff stuff than we think. Um, is it because of no Zoom? I don't know. But what I do think is um, you know, certainly. We've been talking about here on the Talking Mets podcast for a while how important it is managing the media. The quiet part was said out loud by Andrew Martian. Go look it up. Go on. You know, if you're a member of Post Plus, the quiet part out loud is basically, hey, Buck Showalter's winning us over, and we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and uh, I don't think that's going to change. Now, look, every manager has a shelf life. Every coach has a shelf life. Even the great Pat Riley, who I quote here on the time, on the way out the door, he didn't talk. I still think to this day he doesn't talk to Mike and the Mad Dog because they crushed him for how he left. So things could turn sour pretty quickly. But I think for the first time, I feel really confident in saying that this New York Mets club, it's going to be about the field and the game, and it's not going to be about the extracurricular stuff because I think Buck is just not going to have it. And he's not going to give them anything. And I don't think there's going to be any miscommunication. Look at what he said about DeGrom. Hey, I'm not a trainer or a doctor. He's where he needs to be. There was no gotcha there where all of a sudden it goes from, well, the Mets said DeGrom is this, and now they say he's that. He's just like, look, he's progressing where he should be, but I'm not in the prediction business. And that's it. Because then you don't want the headline, look at the Mets medical staff. They don't know what they're doing. Because there's a whole cottage industry especially with the younger people coming into this business that can't wait to write that headline because it's all about clicks. That's it. Look at the Knicks, how they struggle. Look at Leon Rose, hasn't spoken to the media. That's all they're talking about. They don't talk to me. They don't talk to me. They don't talk to me. Even if he said nothing, but he talked to them, they don't talk to me. But he talked to MSG Network. There you go. All right, let's take a quick break, and we're going to wrap up your listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. 
Listen, you know, I was going to do a segment on this MLB.com bleacher features and I'll let my hair down. But like I said, I'm in a cranky mood because of how the game ended. I don't know why. I'm just in a cranky mood. So we're going to wrap up the show right here. Um, and there's other things I want to get to. You know, there's there was an article, actually, the great article, the Wall Street Journal, about some of Steve Cohen's um, employees at Point72, his investment firm, Moonlighting for the Mets. I was maybe thinking about getting into that. And we'll see. Um, but here's what I'm going to say to you guys. And I promise you, I mean, I know the Mets are playing on the road. They're in Colorado. Oh, I hate Colorado. such a tough place. It's not like it used to be in the 90s with the 15-12 games, but it is always something wacky. Maybe they'll get their bats going. Like, by this time next week, you know, they got the St. Louis series, so we'll see if there's any fireworks left over from the uh, the Donnybrook back a couple of weeks ago. That's a tough series. Then you got to go to Colorado. Then they got to go to San Francisco. So there's a lot of tough baseball coming up, but the game's at 3 o'clock next week. Here's what I'm going to do, I, and I promise you, you know, unless the Mets have lost every game, unless here's what I'll do, caveat. If the Mets have lost every game or in this spiral and this controversy, which is not out of the question, but I don't see it happening, then I'm going to have to put this whole off. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I, because I know this is going to be controversial, I went to MLB.com and wrote for, and voted in the MLB Bleacher Features, uh, you, know, um, you know, bracket. It's almost like an NCAA bracket. I think the NBA did one with like Hoosiers and glory road or whatever it may be so i mean you got all the favorites in this thing field of dreams the natural major league uh, league of their own sandlot all of them are in here so i did it i would like you to do it i'm i'm going to tell you this my the 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 one i voted for and i voted for it based on the bracket and i'm going to tell you next week why the one I voted for is controversial. You're going to hate it. I'm going to get all sorts of emails. But here's what I'd like. For anybody who wants, either tweet at me at Mike Silva Media. You could tweet me your bracket. You could email me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, your bracket. You know, tell me what you think. I'd like to kind of see where you're going. I will tell you my pick is not what you think. It's not traditional. But there's a reason for the pick. Maybe you want to predict it. If you want to send me the prediction, that's fine. But I thought it was a little fun thing. Look, you got to get through this season. We can't just, like, break down the bullpen every week. We can't complain about Dom Smith every week. We can't, you know, sh- you know, worry about whether J.D. Davis is going to come out of a slump. We can't replay that horrible Marte and Pete at bats. I got to tell you, look, the slider, I, I hate to pick on Pete. The sliders are tough. I heard him in the public, but it's still, I'm, I'm still seeing, like, ah, that looks so bad coming out of his hand. Easy for me to say sitting on the couch and you sitting on the couch. I thought he could have had better plate discipline than at-bat. I think if, you know, actually I think it was the 2-1 he swung at that probably made the at-bat. That guy falls beyond 3-1, he walks him, no doubt. Or throws him a fastball. Maybe. So you go to MLB.com slash bracket slash MLB bleacher features. It's MLB dash bleacher. Just Google MLB bleacher features bracket or whatever. You'll find it. It's over at MLB.com. You got to sign up for the account. I get no money for this. I just think this is fun. I want to hear how you look at Because I've seen all these movies. The only movie I might not have seen... Oh, I've seen them all. The one I haven't seen in a long time is The Natural. And I think that was on this weekend. And I think I'm going to try... I I could probably find it on Amazon. I don't need to record it from MLB.com, the MLB Network. And Angels in the Outfield, I've seen that. That's a long time. That's in this one, too. 
I thought that was corny. But anyway, well, I'm giving something away. Uh, clearly, I didn't vote for Angels in the outfield, all right? So there you go. So why don't you guys send me a note at Mike Silva Media. Maybe you send me a Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me what you know you wound up voting for in Bleacher Feature, and we'll talk about it next week. I just I, I wanted to get more into it, but I'm just guys, I'm just not in the mood. I want to wrap up the show and go rest, have a cup of coffee, get ready for the week ahead. Mets big series against the Cardinals. The Miles Mikolos against the bullpen game tomorrow. It's been a fun season, but this is the first stick to your ribs Sunday. The first stick to your ribs, I and mean, it's not been a bad week. And the last time we met. Mets did the, did the you know, this is the first series loss of the year. There's, they were the only team not to lose a series. It was going to happen. Just kind of didn't want it. I don't know. We'll see. I thought maybe it was going to happen in Colorado or San Francisco, not not uh, not against the Mariners or the, or the Cardinals at home, but we'll see. And I will tell you this. Crowd's really starting to get buzzing. City Field might be a nice home field advantage. I thought it was, the you know, crowds were great on Friday, Saturday night. Today they got really loud towards the end, even though I know it probably thinned out a little bit. Weather's getting better. Hopefully the ball starts to travel more. Uh, the football weather that's in the, in the holidays, of course, that have been keeping the crowds away a little bit. I know it's expensive to go to the ballpark. I know it's going to continue to be expensive to go to the ballpark. It is a big commitment. But hopefully um, the Mets put out some deals and make it somewhat reasonable that you could pack 42, 43, 44, 45,000 on the weekend in these big series and, and and start making it like the old Shea Stadium where that place would rock, it would shake. I'll always remember Edgardo Alfonso tying the game against Rob Nen in the eighth inning in game three of the Giants series in 2000 in the NLDS. And basically I was, the place was, was vibrating from the top. I've heard the same thing from people who were sitting in that stadium for that 10-run inning when Piazza hit the grand slam uh, against the Braves in that big comeback in 2000 as well. So, Anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining me for this edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast next week. Till then. Take care, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.